Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them to the book of Nehemiah, to Nehemiah chapter 2 for this morning's message and for our time together today. We continue on in this sermon series that we've been studying called Invited to Ask. And in that title, we're, we're clearly reminded that God has invited all of us to come before his throne for the purpose of prayer. That, that literally for over anything, at any time, from anywhere, because of Jesus and him making a way for us to be saved, and because Jesus today is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, he invites us to come to him. He invites us to have that relationship with him. He invites us to share what's on our heart and mind. He invites us even to bring our requests and our petitions before him. We have been invited to ask. And of course, we even see this importance of prayer uh, modeled by the life of Christ. As Jesus, throughout his earthly life, uh, while he walked here on this earth in his earthly ministry, he would often get away from the crowd and he'd get away even from his disciples. And there he would spend alone, uninterrupted time without distractions, communing and relating with God the Father. Of course, Jesus modeled this for us, but he also instructs us to do so. He, he encourages us. He talks to us about going to that, that secret place, that prayer closet, that inner chamber, if you will, and there connecting with God the Father in prayer. Uh, we've been talking a lot about prayer over the past uh, few months now, but, but even still, I wonder, and it comes to our lives, if we pray like we ought. Uh, is prayer the priority in our life that it needs to be? And of course, I would recognize that when times of crisis come, I pretty much imagine we pray. Uh, in times of emergency and times that we are realizing how insufficient we are, that things aren't in our control, we, we tend to pray in those moments. But is prayer a consistent part of our life? It is, is it something that we've disciplined ourselves to grow in? Is it something that we're faithful to pursue and to do even when times are good? When things seem easy? Or is it simply our last result when things are, are unexplained and overwhelming to us? Prayer should be a faithful part in all of our lives. But for, for me, it causes me to ask the question, what is it that's hindering us from praying? Uh, for some of us, we get distracted along the way. There's just a lot of other things going on in life, and we haven't made it the priority that it should be. For some of us along the way, we, we pray about something quickly and then we move on to other things because there's, there's just other things going on in our life. For some of us, it might be that spiritually we're just cold and not at a place where our, our hearts are close to the Lord. But I think one of the reasons that many of us don't pray like we should is because we've reached the point in our life where we've prayed about something maybe time and time again, and frankly, we never saw that prayer answered. Have you ever prayed about something like sincerely and intently you prayed with faith that, that God would work and God would move and you prayed that prayer and you asked and you asked and you asked, but you never saw an answer? Or at least you didn't get the answer that you were wanting. Have you ever sought God for a direction and, I mean, you, and you believed and you saw it and you saw it and you saw it, but it just seemed like the answer was never coming or, or you kind of did what we talked about last week. You, you kept knocking at the door, but you just never saw the open door before you. Well, what do you do then? 
What, what do you do when it appears that God has said no? What do you do when it appears that God may be saying, wait? What do you do when it seems like God is wanting to do something else different than what you had on your initial radar in, in, in mind, if you will? Well, I believe God has much to teach us from the illustration of Nehemiah about what we are to do in that process of waiting. Because it's important for us to recognize today that God is not limited in his power. Just because at times we may have to wait for the answer doesn't mean that God is no longer good or that he doesn't even care to answer our prayer. God does know what is ultimately for his glory and for our good. But he also knows when it is good for us. And he also knows how his answer will ultimately bring him glory the old adage that was given years ago about our prayer described how God answers prayer in this way. It said this, if the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, if I am wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says go. Unfortunately, we typically only see the yes or the no. So if God is telling us to be slow or if God is telling us to take season and to press into him and to grow, if God's telling us to wait, we often just interpret that as, well, God says no, and that's just how it is. But I believe wholeheartedly what God is wanting us to see this morning is this. It is dangerous for God to put something in our hands without first doing something in our hearts to prepare us for what we will receive. I wonder this morning if we are truly ready to receive the answer to our prayers. Maybe that's a weird question for you this morning. Are you ready to receive the answer to your prayers? Now, most of us would say, absolutely, I am ready. I'm so ready for God to say yes. But are we really ready for that? I'm reminded of the practical illustration several years ago. Now, my family and I were in route to Alabama, and we were passing through Chattanooga, Tennessee. And anytime we do that, Heather's dad lives in Tennessee. And we, we normally will go out, of our, go out of our way. We'll spend a few extra days, if you will, and we'll have time to visit with him. And so we got to go to Chattanooga on this particular visit. And when we got there, uh, my father-in-law immediately said, um, hey, Matthew, I've got something set up in the backyard for, for you and Mac when you've got some time. And I said, all right, I didn't know what he had planned. And so Mac was, was kind of a, he was younger at that time. And so he wasn't a little guy. I mean, he was like 10, 11 years old, something like that. And so I was like, hey, let's do it. So we went out into the backyard. And when we got there, we realized he had set up this incredible shooting range in his backyard. He had nothing but mountain lands behind him. He had set up targets and different things. And he brought out a brand new rifle. And so he, he taught us a few things. And we, of course, took our turn shooting at this, this target. But I'm telling you, Mac's eyes lit up when he saw that his grandfather was going to trust him with a rifle in his hands. And so Mac was excited about it. And so Mac asked him, he said, Peepaw, do you think I could ever have one of these rifles? Well, Mac knew the love language of his Peepaw on that moment. And so he asked with boldness and with faith, well, we had our trip. We went on to Alabama. The next time we were in Chattanooga, guess what was waiting on Mac? You know, it was a brand new rifle. And clearly Mac had asked for it and Peepaw loves Mac and Peepaw loves to bless his grandkids. And so Peepaw went and found him this, this beautiful, nice rifle. But here's the reality. As the father in that moment, I knew that Mac wasn't ready for that rifle. 
Mac knew nothing about the safety needs of that rifle. He knew nothing about the dangers of that rifle. I knew in our house, we literally were not prepared to receive it. I had nowhere to put that thing. Ever been there, Pastor Terry, when your son wins a muzzle loader at the beast feast? Yes. That's where I was. And so here's what I did. I told people, thank you so much. This is such a generous, gracious blessing. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Can you hold on to this for me? until I have time to train him and time to get our house ready so that it is safe for us to bring this into our house. So Pastor Terry, I'll be glad to hold that muzzleloader for you if, uh, if need be for a little while. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But here's the reality. It was a whole nother year before we went to Chattanooga got the rifle and brought it into our house. Why? Because as a father, I knew there were some things that Mac needed to know. There were some things that needed to be prepared before we could literally receive, if you will, that answer. God is very much aware of what's going on in our hearts and in our lives, and God knows how our hearts need to be prepared for the answers that he will give. So I question this morning, are we prepared to receive the answer to our prayers? Nehemiah chapter 1, the very last verse, and chapter 2 give us a powerful, I believe, example and illustration of things that need to be true in our life in order for us to be ready to receive God's answer to our prayers. I want to ask you if you're able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? If you remember, we studied Nehemiah two weeks ago and we ended with right where we're picking up today, the last verse of chapter one, Nehemiah is praying and here's what he says. He says, oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful when? Today, that sounds so insignificant, but we're going to talk about that in a moment. And grant him compassion before this man. Nehemiah reminds us, now I was the cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So what does Nehemiah do? He does what he always does. So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, please send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, so how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. In fact, I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given for me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. Listen to this statement. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you speak into every matter of our life. 
God, I pray right now through the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, that you would use your word, Father, to convict us and to lead us, to counsel us and to guide us into your truth today. Father, change us in whatever ways it's needed. I pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. This morning, I want to preach to you on the subject, very simply, the good hand of God. The good hand of God. I want to ask you just quickly, by a show of hands, how many of you would just be honest to say, you know what? I desire to see God's hand at work in my life. I mean, truly, it's my desire to see God's hand at work in my life. If that would be you, would you just raise your hand for just a moment? I anticipate that anyone here who knows Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's our desire. Like we want to know that God is alive and that he's well, not just, if you will, in, in the heaven as his throne, but that he's alive and well working in our hearts and lives today. We want to see God's hand at work in our life. Well, I believe wholeheartedly when you begin to study this example of Nehemiah, we begin to realize the type of life and the type of individual that God works in and through. Now, this is not a magical formula per se, but I do believe that God delights in working and moving in the hearts and lives of people who position themselves like Nehemiah to give God all the glory, honor, and praise. God was working in Nehemiah's life, and Nehemiah had been praying about something, and we'll talk about how long in just a moment. But in that process, I believe God shows us that Nehemiah, his heart and his mind, his entire being was prepared for the answer and the direction that God would give. Maybe you remember Nehemiah from a few weeks ago. The Bible tells us, and even history tells us, that Nehemiah was a Jew. He was one of God's chosen people. But he did not live amongst the Jews. He lived in Persia at the time, where he was serving to uh, the Persian king, King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer for the king. This means that he was in a great position of influence, in a great position of, of responsibility, a great position, frankly, of opportunity. He experienced all the king's delicacies. He was there to listen to the king. He would often at times even potentially give the king advice along the way. He was in a great privileged position. But in this moment in Nehemiah chapter 1, the Bible tells us that as he is there serving the king, one day his brother and some friends had been visiting Judah. They came and they passed through town. The Jews for many years had been in captivity in Babylon where they served as slaves. But now many years had passed and God had brought to, uh, to the reign in Persia before this a king named Cyrus and Cyrus the Great had released many of these Jews, over 50,000 of them, to go back to Judah to rebuild the city. They were going to rebuild the temple so that they could worship God. They were going to rebuild the homes and rebuild the city walls. And, and Nehemiah was excited to hear, tell me about the Jews. Nehemiah thought by now the city would be rebuilt that the temple would be a place of worship. Nehemiah thought that God's people would be thriving and doing awesome. But what Nehemiah heard instead was that the people were struggling. The city hadn't been rebuilt. The people were struggling just to stay alive. The city walls still sat in ruins and in, and in shambles, and ultimately they were a reproach on the name of God. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah, hearing that report, he wept and he fasted and he prayed for days. He was burdened and he was grieved as he sought God's grace and God's direction. 
It is in that response, though, as we go into chapter 2, that I believe God shows us several key things that should be true in our life if we are going to be ready to receive God's answer to our prayers. In fact, I think there's five marks of a person who's ready to receive the answer to their prayers. Five things. If you're with me, would you say, all right. Number one, if we're going to be ready to receive God's answer to our prayers, we must first and foremost be willing to follow God. We must be willing to follow God. If there's one thing we see of Nehemiah from the very get-go in chapter one is that Nehemiah was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. In fact, this is right where we left off the message two weeks ago. We left it off with a reminder of his willingness that he literally was looking to God and he was saying, God, I'm willing to do whatever it is you would have me to do. This simple statement at the end of verse 11 where Nehemiah says, now I was the cupbearer to the king, it reminds us that Nehemiah understood the position that he was in. Nehemiah understood the opportunity that he might have to influence, that God had put him in this position for such a time as this. But please hear me very, very well. Nehemiah did not hold that position as if it was dear to him. What was dear to him was knowing and doing the will of God. Nehemiah, as he has prayed and has been burdened and has been fasting and has been interceding for the people of Judah, please understand he was not praying selfishly. If he was praying selfish prayers according to his flesh, he would have been saying, oh God, would you please enlarge my influence? Oh God, would you please make me rich? Oh God, would you please allow more people to respect me? Oh God, would you please allow me to be more comfortable than I already am? Oh God, would you do this for me? God, would you bless me, me and mine and so forth? That's not Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah is burdened for the people of Judah He's burdened for God's people. And so as he prays, he is in essence saying, God, I put this position and I put this opportunity, I put it before you. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I believe wholeheartedly in our praying, God is calling us to be willing to be a part of his work, even in answering our prayer. Please understand, I am not saying that we are to seek to answer our own prayers. Only God can do that. But as we pray, we should be willing to be a part of God's process of answering it. Now, let me illustrate that for just a moment. In Luke chapter 10, verses 2 through 3, Jesus gives a summary statement about the harvest, and then he gives the disciples a specific command. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus says the harvest is what? plentiful, but the laborers are what? Few. That's just a simple truth. The the, the harvest is plentiful. There's a great harvest to come, but the laborers are few. Here's the command. Therefore, beseech. That old King James word means to pray. Ask. It's the idea here that we really urgently, almost like a begging, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here's the problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So here's the command. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers into the harvest. Listen to the very next statement Jesus gives in verse 3. Next word is what? Go. (laughs) Go. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of Wolves. In other words, yes, we should pray. But as we pray, we should also recognize his command of us and therefore be willing to be a part of the very answer to prayer to which we're praying for. In other words, a prayer for divine intervention does not remove 
personal responsibility. A prayer for divine intervention does not remove personal responsibility. So here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not praying only for a miracle. He is. God, would you do something great for the people of Judah? God, would you raise them up? God, would you help them to restore their city walls and build that temple? God, would you help them to be a people that would worship you and stand out amongst the nations of the world because of who you are in their life? He's praying for that, but he's also saying, God, would you give me an opportunity? God, I'm willing to do whatever you would have me to do so that this is accomplished. I believe wholeheartedly If we're going to see God working and moving in our life, if we're going to be ready for God's answer to our prayer, we must be willing to follow him. Let me illustrate that for just a moment. It is right for us to be praying, God, would you bring a revival to our country? God, would you stir anew and afresh amongst our country? God, would you do an amazing work in Washington, D.C. and throughout all the states of our country? God, would you do this great work? But we must also pray, And God, would you begin that work in me? God, would you begin that work in my heart and life? Would you begin convicting me of sin? Would you begin turning my heart to you in the ways that I've strayed? So often it's easy for us to pray, God, would you do this thing over here without recognizing our willingness to be a part of that? God, would you, would you change my spouse's heart and would you change my spouse's attitude without praying? God, would you help me to love them unconditionally and sacrificially and faithfully, to love them kindly, to love them in all the ways that you've loved me? It's easy for us sometimes to pray, God, would you save my neighbor, my, my family member that doesn't know you? God, would you save them and draw them to a relationship with you? Yes, we should pray that, but we should also pray, and God, would you help me to be a clear example and to be a bold and yet loving witness in their life to point them to you? It's easy for us to pray, God, would you do this over here without recognizing our personal responsibility? God, would you give me this promotion at work? God, would you do this without praying? God, would you help me to be a diligent worker on time, giving my best, being faithful in the responsibilities that I have? What I'm simply saying to you us this morning is that we must recognize our responsibility and willingness and being a part of God's answer even to the prayers. Writer H.B. Charles said it this way, if you pray for an opportunity, you have to get up. Make a personal commitment and make yourself available for God to use you as part of the answer to your own prayers. Nehemiah had no idea at that moment all that God was about to do. But here's what he did do. He put his yes on the table and he said, God, would you work on behalf of the people of Judah and would you give me an opportunity to be a part? Friend, don't just pray contently, oh, that God would do something over here without putting your yes on the table to be a part of what God is wanting to do. So there's a willingness to follow God that must be true in our life if we're going to be ready to receive God's answer to prayer. The second thing we must do is not only should we be willing to follow God, but frankly, for me, here's the hardest part, and it is painful to me at times. We must also not only be willing to follow God, we must be waiting on God. Let me ask you by show of hands, how many of you love to sit and wait? I mean, just anybody. Thank you for your honesty in that. Not very many of us do. I think the original bad four-letter word was the word wait. I don't enjoy waiting at all. I don't enjoy having to sit still at all. I don't enjoy slowing down at all. But there are times 
in the process of our praying and our bringing things to the Lord that God calls us to wait. We read in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah is burdened and he's fasting and he's praying. And then we go into chapter 2 and it seems immediately like God is answering Nehemiah's prayer. Now remember in chapter 1, Nehemiah is praying and he says, God, would you grant your servant success today? Now, frankly, that's the way I like to pray. God, would you do this today? Like, like before I go to bed today, God, will you have accomplished this? Anybody like to pray that way? Like we're focused on the moment at hand. We want God to answer quickly. And then we'll move forward and say, God, we got it. We give you the praise and we'll have something else to pray tomorrow. But God, would you answer today? Well, something that we miss in our, in our, uh, in the original languages from Nehemiah chapter one and chapter two is some of the cultural understanding. It, it seems like God answered this thing immediately, but that's not actually what happened. In Nehemiah chapter one, the Bible tells us specifically that when Nehemiah heard about the need in Judah, it was the Hebrew month of Chislev, which is mid-November to mid-December. Thanksgiving to Christmas time, roughly, if you will. But we pick up in Nehemiah chapter two, and it is now the Hebrew month named after the vehicle, not really, Nisan. It is mid-March to mid-April. Now, Nehemiah prayed four months ago, God, would you grant me success today? And he's wept before the Lord. He's fasted before the Lord. And he's put it at God's throne. And four months later, four months later, he sees God working and moving and directing as an answer to his prayer. So, Pastor, what is, Matt, what is Nehemiah doing during this time? Here's what he's doing. He's waiting on the Lord. Now, he's still faithful to serve in his responsibility. He's still faithful to fulfill his duty before the king. He's still faithful to serve the wine or to taste the food, to be a counsel and to, to listen as the king would share his thoughts in his mind. I believe the context proved over those four months, you know what he's doing? He's still praying. He hasn't forgotten the burden that's on his heart. It's still there. He's praying day in and day out. He's praying. He's praying, but he's praying and he is waiting. Now, he's not waiting because he's afraid. He's not waiting because he's stalling on God's plan. He's waiting because he's trying to discern what God is wanting to do. He's waiting to discern where the open door might be. He's waiting to discern how God is at work in the moment. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you willing to wait on God? I, I, I'm just, I don't like to wait. But are, but are we willing to wait on God? Many of us never experience the things that God has wanted to do, frankly, because we are so unwilling to wait. We can have the right goals, the right plans, the right motives, but we can still completely miss God's plan if we are unwilling to wait. And man, it can be so easy to get impatient with God and to feel pressures from the world. I've got to make a decision. I've got to have an answer. I've got to move in one direction or the other. And if we're not willing to wait on God, we can completely miss what God is wanting us to do. I want to remind us this morning that the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, that it is through faith and patience, oh, that's a hard word, that we inherit the promises of God. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. So often, if you think back in your life of how God has demonstrated his faithfulness, and yet we still struggle with this 
call at times to wait and to be patient, we can easily be like the Israelites. The Bible describes them in Psalm 106 verse 13 saying this, they quickly forgot God's works. They did not wait for his counsel. How often do we feel that pressure? How often do we feel that fear of what we might miss if we don't act hastily? And as a result, we forget God's faithfulness and we refuse to wait on his counsel. One of the things you'll read in your scripture reading this week is Exodus chapter 14, and you'll read about the Israelites, how God led them through the wilderness, and it seemed like he was leading them in a strange way. In fact, God was doing this to confuse Pharaoh. And the Bible says that God brought the Israelites to the Red Sea, and when they came to the Red Sea, the Israelites realized we're either going to drown or we're going to be killed by Pharaoh who's coming behind us. And the Bible says that they complained and they whined, we're going to die, what have you done? Moses, why have you brought us out here? Listen to what Moses says in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. He said this, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, what he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. In the Hebrew, that word, that phrase where it says stand by literally means stand by still. He's he's calling the Jewish people to say, listen, it's not about your effort. It's not about what you can do. Here's what you need to do. You need to look to God. You need to trust him and stand still and watch what God will do on your behalf. I encourage you to read that this week and be reminded of how the story came to an end. But ultimately what exactly Moses said God would do, God did as they stood still and trusted and waited on the Lord. David would testify of that in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. He said this, I waited patiently for the Lord. And guess what God did? He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. The prophet Isaiah would say, amen, David. Listen to what God said through Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain, say it with me, new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Many of us want the benefits of waiting on the Lord, but without waiting. I was reminded of that this past Tuesday of not only the importance of waiting, but of waiting on the Lord. Many of you, thank you, were praying for me as I was en route to Texas. On Tuesday morning, I, I left here a little later than I was anticipating, but I had plenty of time to get to, to the airport to, to fly toward Dallas-Fort Worth. And, uh, and, and as the Lord would have it, I could have flown out of two airports. I could have flown out of Dulles or out of Charlottesville. Well, if I'd have flown out of Charlottesville, I was going to have a long layover in Atlanta, not wanting to wait all day at an airport, I easily said, I'll fly to Dulles, have a direct flight and have no layovers and won't have to wait anywhere. So I chose Dulles, got to the airport, parked quickly, got through everything, checked in, got through the security checkpoint, all was well. I get to my gate, I've got an hour to spare. And so I'm just kind of hanging out. They call us to board the plane. I get on the plane. I I notice a, a young gentleman beside me. I say, hello, we meet, we talk for a few minutes. And, uh, and just kind of small talk or whatever. I learned quickly that he's from upstate New York. Uh, he does landscaping and, and uh, learned some things about uh, his, his extended family and different things. And, 
We began to talk pretty quickly. I began to recognize his mannerisms were a lot like a guy here named Jason Hewitt, if you know Brother Jason. In fact, I teased him several times, like, are you sure you don't have a cousin in Harrisonburg? I'm just telling you, you guys are a lot alike. We talked and kind of had small talk. And a few minutes later, the pilot came on, said a few words. The plane got away from the gate. We began to go towards the runway. And if you've ever been to Dulles, when a lot of planes are leaving at one time, we just kind of got in line. We were about fifth or sixth in line when all of a sudden our plane came to a stop. And it was one of those stops that I was like, I don't think we're getting ready to leave. Like something doesn't feel right. And so the pilot announces, uh, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we have a maintenance issue. We're going back to the gate. It's going to take us 25 to 30 minutes to fix it, and then we'll be on our merry way. So I'm thinking, nah, I've got like three and a half hours of time built into my schedule. I'm good. So we go to the gate. The pilot announces, if you want to get up and walk about, you can, but please stay in the plane because this won't take very long. So I look at my friend beside me. I say, hey, I'm not going anywhere. What about you? He says, no, I'm not. And so in that moment, I begin to recognize we're going to be waiting for a while. I might as well talk to him for a while. So we began to talk, and we began to have conversation. And as we're having conversation, it pretty quickly becomes aware that I'm not just waiting on this maintenance part. God has orchestrated this conversation right now at this moment. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you as I began to think about that. I'm just simply reminded today that there are times in our life that God is calling us to wait. I don't like sitting in traffic. I don't like waiting. Even in that moment, I didn't like knowing I'm going to be delayed 30 minutes, and I had extra time built into my schedule. But in that moment, God began to do some things in my hard life to convict me that he was doing something that in the moment I had been unaware of. Don't despise the times of waiting because in those times of waiting, God can work in amazing ways. It's not that Nehemiah was just waiting, it's that he was waiting on the Lord. In that moment in the plan, as I'll tell you in just a moment, it wasn't just that I was waiting for a maintenance part, that God was up to something, God was doing something. He was working in that moment. So for four months, Nehemiah prayed and waited for God to work and to open a door. Nehemiah didn't bust ahead into the king's throne and demand something. Nehemiah didn't rush rush ahead with hasty decisions. No, he's waiting and he's seeking God's will and God's plan. Why? Because he knows that God's plans are always worth the wait. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. When you wait on the Lord in prayer, you are not wasting your time. You are investing it. For God is preparing both you and your circumstances so that his purposes will be accomplished. So if we're going to be ready for God's answer, we must be willing to follow him, but we must be waiting for him. The third thing we see this morning in Nehemiah chapter 2 is that we must also be watching for God. We must be watching for God. Now, Nehemiah is not just throwing mindless prayers up to God. Oh, God, would you give me an opportunity? No, he is praying, but he's also with open eyes watching and looking to see where God is at work and how God is moving. Henry Blackaby in his study, Experiencing God, talks about the importance of joining God where he's at work. But how do you learn that? You learn where God is at work by, if you will, opening your eyes and observing and taking time to see things around you, to see who God might be bringing into your life, to see the open doors that he might put before you. You have an observance, a vigilance, if you will, a watchfulness about you to see how and where God may be working. I was reminded of that on Tuesday on that plane. As we had this delay, this initially a 30-minute delay, I began to talk to this young man. And he told me about his wife, and he told me about his uh, two young children, and, and about his job, and all these different things. And then he asked me, 
what do you, you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, really? You know, the way he said, really, I knew, okay, this is going to be interesting. I don't know where this is going at this point. But, but we began to talk, and he said, uh, and he, I didn't even have to ask him that moment. He said, I'm a, I'm a born-again believer. And I said, that's awesome. Well, tell me about that. And he began to tell me his testimony. Well, 30 minutes in, we, the pilot comes on. As he's kind of telling me a story, the pilot says, ladies and gentlemen, we're good to go. We're going to be backing away. We're going to be leaving. And so sure enough, we begin to back up. We backed away from the gate. Now the second time, I, we probably got 30 yards and we stopped again. And the pilot said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. The same maintenance issue that we've had already has come up again. We're not even going to the runway. We're going to have them work on it right here. We don't know how long this is going to take. So this truck comes and it starts working. We sat in that position for over an hour. I will not tell you the airlines I was flying that day. They would not like my endorsement today. But anyway, so for an hour, we're sitting there. We're talking. And in the process of our conversation, we begin to talk about life transitions and getting married and having children and different things. And then he makes this statement. He said, yeah, I used to be a worship leader. And I said, really? I said, well, tell me about it. And he started telling me about that. And then he began to talk about some of the challenges and some of the things that, frankly, have prevented him from serving the Lord for the last four or so years. And I knew in that moment, in that moment, that God was doing something much bigger than I originally realized because what happened is as we sat there on that, that basically right outside the gate for now over an hour, he and I talked through all, I mean, every angle of that opportunity in that situation. And in that process, man, I'm just telling you, I gained a friend that day. And truth be told, he encouraged me. I hope I encouraged him in some ways. The fact of the matter is we had this encounter. We talked after an hour. The pilot came back on. We started to go. And I'm telling you, we probably even barely moved. And about the time we go to move, the pilot says again, folks, I'm sorry. The same maintenance issue is up. We're heading back to the gate, and we're going to let you get off the plane. And I'm thinking, thank God we got to get off this place. You know, it's hot. We're not moving or whatever else. But here's the reality. As we recognized we were getting ready to get off this plane, we didn't know if we were going to be back on this plane or something else. We didn't know what was going to come. Here's the fact. The honest truth is in that moment, I knew that God had been at work in that entire process of waiting. You know why? Frankly, I knew because God put me in a position where I couldn't miss it. That's why I knew. But because in that moment, I wasn't distracted by everything else. In that moment, I wasn't too busy for something else. In that moment, I wasn't pursuing something. Literally, God put me in a position where I was sitting right next to him and there was nowhere else to go. I couldn't miss it. And I'm going to be blunt, honest with you when I tell you that ever since about Wednesday, the question that's been in the back of my mind has been, but how often do I miss it? Like, like how often am I so busy and so focused on the next meeting or the next responsibility or the next like urgent situation, how often am I so focused on all these other things that I miss the very thing that God is wanting to do and trying to do right in front of me? How often do I miss it? How often do you miss it? 
How often do we miss it because we might be praying and we might be serving, but we're not watching with open eyes, really expecting and anticipating that God is working and moving right in our midst. And I'm thankful God put me in a position where, frankly, I could not miss it. But the fact of the matter is so often we miss what God is doing because we're too busy too distracted, too impatient, too set about our agenda to see how God is literally working. How often do we miss it? Listen to what Psalmist said. David said it in Psalm chapter 5, verses 2 through 3. Listen to what he said as he watched for God. He said, Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. You know what David's saying? David's saying, in the morning, when it's a first priority, God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek you, but I'm also going to set my gaze. I'm going to set my eyes to watch for how you're working and moving in my life. I want to challenge us not to live our life with such a tunnel vision of all the things that we think we have to do and to accomplish but to daily commit our day to the Lord and then open our eyes to see how God is working and moving around us. On this particular day in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah goes into the king's presence. He does this all the time. He's faithfully serving and working, fulfilling his responsibilities. On this particular day, it was a normal, ordinary day. He's been praying for four months. He's been asking God for direction for four months. He has been anticipating God's answer for four months. And so on this particular day, he goes before the king, and the Bible says something very interesting as he begins to serve wine to the king. On this particular day, his countenance was sad. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us in our day today. I imagine that somebody this week probably saw you sad at some point, right? We have all sorts of emotions that we go through. But in that day, you could not be sad in the presence of a king. In fact, the kings, they didn't want you to be sad or even, um, you know, kind of sobering, if you will. They wanted to be uplifted. In fact, they had people that were employed just for the purpose of entertaining the king and keeping their spirits light and uplifted. You could not be sad in the presence of the king. Uh, One writer said it this way, sad servants raise serious suspicions. So if you were sad in the presence of the king... You would either be interrogated and questioned or you would be taken out and punished or potentially even killed. You could not be sad in the presence of the king. So the king was sheltered from anything that was negative, if you will. Nehemiah, this particular day, he couldn't cover it up. He couldn't hide his emotions. He couldn't cover up how he truly was feeling. And so he came to the king's presence and he was sad. And the king said, Nehemiah, why is your face why, why is your face sad though you were not sick? What's wrong with you, Nehemiah? You ever had that question? What's what's going on? Something's going on there, Nehemiah. What's up, man? But then the king even discerns the answer to his question. He says, "This is nothing but sadness of heart." What was Nehemiah's response? The Bible says this. He said, "I was very much afraid." He's afraid because he knows at this point what normally happens is he's taken out, he's questioned, he's persecuted, and potentially even killed. This is not a good place to be. You don't wear your emotions on your sleeve when you're in the presence of the king. But then Nehemiah answers the king, 
And he answers the king with profound wisdom because the Persians especially were a very mystical people about the subject of death. The Persians, in many ways, were a wicked and cruel people, but in dealing with the realm of the dead and, your, and the graves and the deceased ancestors that are gone before you, they saw them as very sacred. So listen to how Nehemiah responds. Nehemiah responds, verse 3, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, where my dad and my grandfather and my grandfather's father, where they are buried, that place is desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. Now, there was a much more that burdened Nehemiah than just the condition of the tombs of his grandfather. But nonetheless, it certainly caught the attention of the king. So the king said to me, what would you request? Nehemiah, what can I do for you? What is it that I could do, Nehemiah, to relieve your sadness? Please understand what God is doing here. God is kind of flipping the table. God's flipping the scene. It should be Nehemiah encouraging the king and uplifting the king's spirits, but instead, God so has the king's heart in his hand that God is directing the king to say, Nehemiah, what can I do to help? How can I support you? How can I encourage you? How can I relieve this sadness and this burden? And in that moment, Nehemiah recognizes that God is at work. Nehemiah didn't need lightning to strike. Nehemiah didn't need some supernatural miracle to experience God's working. He saw God at work through the king's kindness, compassion, and mercy in this moment. So Nehemiah recognizes God at work. In verse 4, the Bible says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. In other words, in this moment, Nehemiah is saying, listen, this is not a sweet hour of prayer. This is not Nehemiah getting on his knees in front of the king and praying for an hour. No, this is just Nehemiah saying, God help me. God, I, I see you at work right now. Would you give me the words to say, God, give me boldness. God, would you help me? He prayed to the God of heaven. We are not ready for God's answer to our prayers until we're first willing to follow, until we're waiting on him and watching for his movement. But fourthly, we're not ready for God to answer our prayers until we are working with God. We must be working with God. Nehemiah then gives an answer to the king. Notice what he says. In verses 5 and 8, he begins to ask the king for specific things. He asked to go to Judah. He asked for letters to, to, to get to the governors. He asked for the timber to rebuild the city walls. He asked for a guard of protection. He asked even for a specific man named Asaph by name. Nehemiah asked all these things. Why? Because here's what we learn from Nehemiah's request. While Nehemiah was waiting, he wasn't sitting there doing nothing. A lot of times we don't like waiting because we envision sitting there and doing nothing. But remember, waiting on God doesn't mean that we are absent of personal responsibility. Asking of God for divine intervention doesn't mean that we are denying personal responsibility. Yes, we can ask God, but we must also recognize God's part of ours to be working with him in the answer to our prayer. So often in our day, we'll post on social media or even make the statement, just, just let go and let God. Just let go and let God. And of course, in that, we're describing the importance of trusting God. But remember, while we trust God, that does not mean that we don't have a responsibility or a part to play in what God is wanting to do. Matthew Henry described Nehemiah's actions in this way. He said, Nehemiah did not sit still and stay. Let God now do his own work, for I have no more to do. But instead, he set himself to forecast what he could do towards it. 
our prayers must be seconded with our serious endeavors, else we mock God. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with preparing, even as we wait on God. But ultimately, we bring those plans and we bring those preparations and surrender them to God and say, God, let your plans and your will be done. When I was on that plane on Tuesday, that's really what was happening. When the captain said or the pilot said, we're heading back to the gate, we're going to get off the plane. I'd already been talking to my new buddy now for an hour and 45 minutes at that point. And so uh, as we get back to the gate, the, the, the pilot says we're going to get off and we're going to figure out what we're doing. I begin to think through what other options do I have? I'm supposed to be in Texas in an hour. Like, what, what, what are the routes that I might have? And so, as I'm literally standing in the plane, I'm kind of making my plans, and, and I pick up my phone, I call the travel agent and say, listen, here's the situation. Are there any other flights heading to Dallas-Fort Worth? She quickly scans her computer. She says, there's a flight leaving in 25 minutes if you can catch it. I asked her what gate number she told me. I said, hang on for just a second. So sure enough, I mean, a few minutes later, we're getting off the plane. When we get off the plane, I realize suddenly something is wrong. Right before I boarded that plane, the carry-on that I had, they made me check in because there was no overhead compartment space for that carry-on. Anybody ever been there? It's a glorious day is what I'm saying to you. They take my back. And so I'm coming off that plane, getting ready to hit another plane, and I realize I have to get my carry-on. So I asked the stewardess, is there any way possible that I can get this bag? Here's my claim ticket. She said, we'll get to it as soon as possible. And so I'm literally looking out this door, and I'm watching this flight crew take the most gracious patient, tender, loving care with every bag, you know, come on, please move faster, people. I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm, I've got this other plan and trusting it's going to work out. And they got me my bag 30 minutes later. I missed the other flight by like five minutes. So at that point, you're like, got it. You know, I'm planning, I got this whole thing figured out, and got a plan B figured out, and a plan C figured out, and it is just not working. And so I looked over at my, my new buddy, and they had said they're going to give us an announcement in 30 minutes, and I said, man, I didn't have breakfast or lunch. I'm going to walk around the corner and get something to eat. And I know this doesn't normally happen in an airport when you just met somebody for the first time, but I was like, you want to join me for lunch? He said, absolutely. We sat down for lunch, we began talking, and we get back on the plane, and about the time he asked me a question, he said, you know, you're a pastor. You're probably a good person to ask this question. I've been wanting to ask somebody, what do you think of this? And there was the million-dollar question in the conversation that all along I believe God was wanting us to have. And literally, we had that conversation most of the way in flight to Dallas-Fort Worth, which is an over a three-hour flight. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying, yes, we plan, yes, we prepare, but in our praying, we ultimately look to God and say, God, we're going to plan, we're prepared, we're not going to be lazy, we're not going to be passive and do nothing, we're going to be a part of what we believe you're calling us to do, but ultimately, we surrender to you, recognizing that your plans and your will and your way is best. Was I late for my meeting? Yes, I was. Did I miss dinner? Yes, I did. But was I right where God wanted me to be? Praise God I was. And truth be told, much of what I missed wasn't that big of a deal anyway. What I'm saying to you is we must be working with God. Nehemiah wasn't just sitting there doing nothing. He was planning. He was preparing. 
He was praying. He was anticipating. And so literally when the king asked that question, what can I do for you? He said, actually, king, since you've asked, he prays, he seeks God for his grace and his favor. But king, since you've asked, yes, I need letters to all their governors so that I can get into the provinces to get to where I need to be. I need to be released to go to Judah so that I can encourage the people. Yes, I need letters so that I can get all the timber that's needed. By the way, king, did you know that your forest, the guy who oversees it, his name is Asaph. If you could write a direct letter for me, that would be great. Yes, and I need some guards to protect me, to take care of me so that my journey is safe. Yes, yes, King. In fact, here's the timeline. I think we can do this amount of time and then I'll be back. He had all those answers because in the process of his praying and waiting, he was planning and preparing and working with God. His planning and preparing was not because of a lack of faith, but instead it was because Nehemiah believed that God would answer that he did plan and he did prepare for the opportunity that God would one day provide. Final thing I want you to see is this, being ready for God to answer our prayers. I love this about Nehemiah. The final thing I want to say to us is that we should be worshipful of God. Regardless of the answer, whether it's yes or no, whether it's slow or grow, whether it's wait or walk forward right now, I believe Nehemiah had a worshipful attitude towards God where he was going to give God the praise. The king grants him favor, verse 8, but notice who Nehemiah gives the praise to. The king granted them to me because I was so skilled and articulate. No. The king granted them to me because I was... Uh, so influential and such a faithful servant? No. The king granted them to me because I'm such a good leader and was convincing? No. The king granted them to me because, why? The good hand of my God was on me. I believe wholeheartedly this morning if we will be willing to follow God, put our yes on the table, if we will be willing to wait on God to seek his direction, if we'll be watching for how he's at work, if we'll be faithful to plan and to prepare in that process, if we will be worshipful to say, you know what, whether God says yes or God says no, I'm going to give him the praise and thank him for how he's working and moving. I believe wholeheartedly, if our heart is in that place, there is no telling what God might do in response to our prayers. God delights in answering prayers that will result in him being praised and glorified. You want God to move his hand to move in your heart and life? We'd say absolutely. But I wonder this morning, are we willing to say yes to him regardless of the cost? Are we willing to wait? Are we truthfully willing to watch? Are we willing to have initiative and plan and prepare? Are we willing to worship him for what he does? All over the building, I want to ask, would you just bow your heads with me today? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time and how you speak to our hearts and lives. Thank you for the reminder through the example of Nehemiah of how you work and move. There are numerous times in my life, God, that you have burdened me to wait and I humbly admit that I have been impatient. I've had my own mindset. And uh, in, in many of those times, I've gone my own way. And every single time, God, you have shown me in those situations the error of my way. You've shown me how I missed it. 
And I thank you for that. I thank you for the times that you've convicted me. And uh, Father, allow me to learn from those, those failures. But God, when I look back at those times that I have waited and I have sought you and, and I have refused to move forward until I knew your will and your plan, God, every single one of those things, even when they at times have been very difficult decisions, you have blessed every single one of those moments. And in each of those moments, you gave your grace and you revealed your presence personally to me. But really, in most of those moments, God, I also look back and I see the fruit of that. I see the fruit that you brought through that ministry decision or that relationship issue or whatever the case, God, I saw you work and move. And in some of those ways, I can't even fully explain. But today, I, I see the clear evidence of how you worked. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. God, I thank you that this week in, in the midst of really frustrating travel situations for me, God, I thank you for the way that you literally put me in a situation where I could not miss what you were doing. God, I, I thank you that you, you love my buddy Andrew enough that you wouldn't let me miss that. I thank you that you love me enough that you wouldn't let me miss that. God, it's a reminder to me that you truly do care about every single one of us. And so, God, I pray today that that reality would really soak into our hearts and minds that for those of us that have been praying about something we've been waiting for a long time, God, I pray that we'd be reminded that you do care. You are listening. That, that phrase, to, the answer to wait, or even maybe the answer at the moment is no, does not mean that you don't love us. It doesn't mean that your power is now limited. It doesn't mean that your heart is not moved for us. So God, I pray today that you would give some of us that reassurance to know that you do love us. You are working all things together for your glory and for our good. So help us to trust you and to cling to your promises. I pray in Jesus' name. God, I pray there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that they would come to know him today as Lord and Savior. I think back of Nehemiah and how he had to be so careful about how he approached the king. He literally couldn't be real and honest about what was going on in his heart and life. He was limited with what he could and couldn't say to the king. But God, you are not like that wicked king. You are a good and gracious, generous father. We can come to you at any time. We can be open and honest with you at any time, and we should be because you know anyway. God, I thank you that through Jesus Christ and what he did for us in giving his life, we can be forgiven, we can be saved, but we can also be adopted into your family as your children. And God, if there's anyone here today that does not know that reality in their life, I pray that today would be the day that they come to know you. In Jesus' name. This morning, heads bowed, eyes closed. Right where you're sitting today, I want to ask you all over the building, can we just stand to our feet quietly? Just stand to our feet quietly. I, I don't know how God is speaking to you today. Maybe you're here today and you would just be honest and say, you know, Pastor, I'm saved. I know without a doubt that, that God's been good to me. He's forgiven me. He's saved me. But maybe you're having a hard time in the waiting. I, I want to ask you today, would you just surrender to the Lord and just say, God, forgive me for the times that I have been impatient. And you might have even a specific illustration or example in your mind. 
God, forgive me for that moment and that situation where I rushed ahead and did my own thing. Maybe today you just need to commit to the Lord, Lord, I trust you. And I'm willing to wait on you. I'm willing to join you where you're at work. I don't want to rush ahead to my own thing, but I want to follow you. If that's you, man, right where you're at today, just be praying and commit that to the Lord. Lord, I trust you, and I'm willing to wait. If you're here today and you don't know the reality of God being your heavenly Father, you you don't sense that close relationship with God, I want you to know today you can have a relationship with God, the very one who made you. He's done everything possible to make that relationship offered to you. He sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. He rose again from the grave. And the very moment you believe in Jesus and the work that he did for you when he came to this earth, the very moment you call upon him to save you, he will save you, he will forgive you, he will cleanse you. And the Bible says he will adopt you into the family of God. You will know God as your father. You'll have a personal relationship with him. So this morning, if that's you, and you want to know that with certainty, literally right now, just pray, God, thank you for loving me, and thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and save me. I know that I'm a sinner. God, I ask you to cleanse me of all those things. I accept Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. This morning, if you pray that prayer instantly, you'll be forgiven And you'll begin to know the reality of God being your father. I don't know how God is speaking to you today, but I believe for many of us, he is. And so I want to ask you to say yes to the Lord's leading. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.